0: Justin Trudeau is the second Trudeau to be an influential Canadian politician. His father, Pierre Elliott Trudeau, was also the Prime Minister. But before he became Prime Minister, in fact as Justice Minister, Pierre Elliott famously said, there's no place for the state in the bedrooms of the nation. Well, sure. But you know, sometimes in a podcast, you've just got to talk about sex. Welcome to Two Pages with MBS. This is the podcast where brilliant people read the best two pages from a favorite book, a book that has moved them, a book that has shaped them. Mina Salami is the author of Sensuous Knowledge, a Black Feminist Approach for Everyone. And if you're a fan of the podcast, that title might ring a bell because Monica Jiang read two pages from that book in one of the very first episodes. And in fact, It was those two pages that made me reach out to Mina to invite her to be part of this. But how can Black feminism be an approach for everyone?
1: Black feminists have been building a body of work that speaks to the interconnectedness of oppression and also the interconnectedness of liberation. So Black feminist thought has, from its very beginning, uh, you know, it, it kind of moved away from feminism at large or black liberation at large, particularly to hone in onto uh, the, the many different factors of social oppression that impact people's lives.
0: In the last two years, the three Ps, pandemics and protests and politics, have made the currents of power and oppression not only more apparent, but more everyday. I mean, this now touches us all.
1: The world has kind of woken up to the interconnectedness of oppression in a big way. Um, so we, we came to realize um, that we need to treat essential workers better, that uh, you know people's lives depend on them, um, and, that, and that those relationships are reciprocal. So in essence, we came to understand class is something that is really important to, to look at. Um, we, we saw how different groups um, have been affected by the pandemic. Uh, 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 in in really significantly different ways. So um, people of color, people in the global South have have faced more negative impact. Um, The the pandemic has also been gendered. Um, More men have have been impacted by it. Um, And so in a sense, uh, we've all been engaging with the kinds of questions that Black feminists have been engaging with for decades.
0: But if the pandemic has made these issues more visible and more urgent, I still don't really know what to do about it. And doesn't Black feminism narrow the conversation rather than broaden it?
1: The point is to not reinvent the wheel. Um, it isn't to say that Black feminist thought is, um, you know, has all the answers or can claim ownership and all the answers. But it has been looking at questions that are relevant and, and at the forefront of, of uh, civic discussion for so long. And it really has a lot to, uh, to offer in, in terms of how we speak about interconnectedness, in terms of how we speak about uh, social change on both an individual and a collective level.
0: Okay. But how does this all tie into talking about sex? Well, I'll let Mina introduce the book she's
1: going to read from. I have picked a book called The Sex Lives of African Women by Nana Darkoa Sakyayama, uh, a Ghanaian author.
2: And how did the how did you come across this book? How did it come into your life?
1: So, um, the author Nana is a friend of mine and right. um, and she's a friend of mine She's first a a colleague, I should say. So uh, Nana has been writing uh, a blog called Adventures from the Bedrooms of African Women since Mm. 2010, I believe. It might be 2009. Um, And that is the same year that I launched my blog, Miss Afropolitan, Mm. um, which eventually became my book, you could argue. Um, And and I would say that this book... that I've chosen is a kind of continuation of Nana's blog. Um, right. And it's, it, the book means so much to me because um, we both were blogging in a time where blogs at large were were still quite a rare thing, but, mm-hmm. um, but African feminist blogs were especially a rare thing. And, right. uh, and, you know, I, I just, um, I, it's been, yeah. it's been wonderful to, to, be part of her journey and vice versa. So I'm, I've been really excited about this book and it, it lives up to, to all of the expectations.
2: And is it actually out in the world? I, I poked around looking for it and it didn't appear yet to have been published, but maybe I'm, I was just looking at the wrong things.
1: Yeah. You know what? Um, I have an advanced copy and so this is actually a bit unfair because it dawned on me after that you wouldn't be able to, to look at the book before no, the uh, recording.
2: It's, it's great. I mean, part of what I love doing about these conversations is um, I'll often know the book and have done a bit of research about it, but I won't know the two pages. And so part of what I love being is being present to reading pages that I haven't read before or haven't read for a while. So I have to be very, very present and very interested so that I can have a good conversation with you afterwards. But I think this is our first time uh, reading from a book yet to be published. So this is, <laughs> you see, you're just racking up the first, Mina. It's amazing. Um, I, I
1: am indeed. Maybe <laughs> by the time this comes out, it will be published because I think it, it's coming out in like two or three weeks. So, oh, perfect! Um, yeah, probably yes. It probably will be
2: out, but that's it's still it's still literally, or <laughs> certainly metaphorically, hot off the press. Um <laughs> yes. And I love the story, just the idea of the two of you being kind of beacons of African feminist blogging and there's like, it's me and it's her <laughs> and there's not much else out there.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, there were quite a few or, you know, like a, yes. maybe a dozen of us or so, but, um, but many right. have left the blogging scene and, and i say, I'd say that Nana and I are probably the ones who like just <laughs> yeah. persisted. So, uh, Yes. So that is a, a lovely story. And
2: how did you come across, how did you pick the two pages to read?
1: Well, I wasn't um so the way that her book is structured is um it's it's basically uh she she has spent uh how many years is it 6 years um interviewing women of African heritage all mm. around the world um about their sex lives basically um and so the, the book consists of three sections in which each of these interviews are are um are are conveyed by by Nana the author. Right. Um and so at first I thought that I would read one of them but actually I don't think that that is the best thing to do because it it would just give like one one uh very small section of the book. So what I've decided yes. is that I'll read the Nana's prologue because that really Beautiful. speaks to the to the book's essence.
2: Perfect. So let,
1: let me know what well, you want me to say. I,
2: I think we're ready. I think we should jump in and hear these two pages. I'm, I'm thoroughly intrigued. So, Mina, over to you.
1: For over 10 years, I have shared my personal experiences of sex through Adventures from the Bedrooms of African Women, a blog I co-founded with my friend Malaka Grant. I have also facilitated conversations about women's experiences of sex and pleasure in a variety of public settings ranging from intimate living room conversations in Mombasa, Kenya, to public events in Berlin, Germany. I have often spoken and written about the importance of owning one's body and my continuing journey in negotiating my sexuality and desires, both within and outside the bedroom. Speaking in public about a subject which is often deemed taboo, especially in the part of the world where I originate, is a political act. I think and write about sex in order to learn how to have better sex. I encourage other women to share their experiences of sex in order to build our collective consciousness around the politics of pleasure. This is critical in a world where women too often lack access to truly comprehensive sexuality education. Black, African and Afro-descendant women are often told that sex should only be within particular constraints, between people of opposite genders, for instance, and within certain parameters. In some countries, those parameters are marriage. In other countries, the law prohibits some types of sexual acts or tries to control the choices girls and women have when they experience an unwanted pregnancy. In the sex lives of African women, individual women from across the African continent and its global diaspora speak to their experiences of sex, sexualities, and relationships. These stories are based on in-depth interviews I conducted between 2014 and 2020 with women from 31 countries. A significant proportion of the women I interviewed represented more than one nation and had their sexual experiences shaped by the various countries and cultures they had experienced. After speaking to over 30 women for this book, I started to see several common threads weaving through their stories. We're all on a journey towards sexual freedom and agency. In order to get there, we need to heal. Healing looks different for everybody. For some, healing came about through celibacy and spiritual growth. For others, healing came through taking back power as a dominatrix and sex worker. Many of the women I spoke to inspired me with the realities of how they lived their best sexual lives. This included deeply personal stories like navigating freedom and polyamory in conservative Senegal, or resisting the erasure of lesbian identity and finding queer community in Egypt in the midst of a revolution. African women grapple with the trauma of sexual abuse and resist religious and patriarchal edicts in order to assert their sexual power and agency. They do this by questioning and resisting societal norms whilst creating norms and narratives that allow them to be who they truly are. The journey towards sexual freedom is not a linear one or one that is fixed and static. Freedom is a state that we are constantly seeking to arrive at.
2: It's a wonderful finishing sentence around we're constantly seeking to arrive at that place of freedom. Uh, Mina, what was it in those that prologue that speaks so powerfully to you?
1: Well. The prologue really speaks to the many journeys that this book takes the reader on. Um, you know, it's really amazing when you read the stories of—I think it's about thirty or so women—and um, they're just all so different. You know, you have women who, uh, as, as she says in the prologue, there's a—you know this polyamorous women. Uh, there's also a woman living in a polygamous marriage. Uh, There's a disabled woman. There's a woman who's a sex worker and there's, you know, all all different types of sexualities and religions are represented. Um, But there's really a a thread uh, that goes through this journey, which is the search for freedom um, and and for Mm -hmm. healing. Um, And and the prologue, I think, conveys very well uh, the, the sense of, of um, what's the word I'm looking for? There's a kind of uh, uh, intimacy uh, when you're reading this. Uh, you know, obviously it's a book about sex, so there is the, the kind of sexual intimacy, but there's also uh, a vulnerability and, and a sense that the women that Nana right. has interviewed are really willing to to share from their innermost um, selves, so that other women can have companions uh, in a world that, where where women's sexuality is also Compromised by patriarchy. Um, I also think that the, the, the prologue uh, does a good job of, of conveying yeah. uh, that this is a book that is, in, in many ways, it is a, a, a story about blackness as well. Um, so each of the, the women are are of African descent, but you know, some mm. live in in the UK, some in Germany, some in Haiti, Jamaica. Egypt, um, South Africa. There's just a uh, uh, you know a really rich scope yeah. of uh, of travel and a kind of uh, international. What I, my blog is called is "Afropolitan," so that word "Afropolitan" is, it kind of stands out to describing this as well. Um, and yes. and it, it therefore um, reading this book, you're not just learning about you know different. Issues to do with the politics of sexuality, um, but actually, it's also a kind of cultural education because you you, you lean into what it is like to to uh, you know to live in in Kenya or um, wherever one of the interviewees may find themselves. Mm.
2: When you talk about in that prologue as you read about that journey towards freedom and autonomy, the other phrase that struck a chord for me was this sense of taking back power. And I'm wondering how you think about power and how it works,
1: uh, yeah, um taking back power is something that should really be at the forefront of not only feminist work but um you know the kind of collective human projects and um one of the mm. for me, power is uh, one of the most imperative notions to reimagine um, and to kind of unlearn everything that we think about power Um, and and uh because when we think about the definitions of of power um they're typically almost synonymous with words like uh violence and dominance authority coercion um Mm -hmm. and so when we utilize the conventional definitions of power we in some ways, uh, even those of us who are trying to resist those conventional abuses of power, we, there's a, a chance of of merely reinforcing um, those notions. Um, and right. so uh, I think that we, we need to redefine power and reimagine what power can look like. And that's something that um, I've actually been doing quite actively. So I've uh, i've i I've coined a, a term called exurgence in my book sensuous knowledge um and exurnce is a is a way of looking at power um that conveys a, a kind of life force and possibility and uh, and connection mm-hmm. with with others and the the entire sort of ecology that the, the system the ecological system that we exist in um, so yeah, um, I, you know, I, I could speak about exertions for ages, but it's, uh, definitely <laughs> power is a big deal.
2: Well, <laughs> I'm, I want, I, I want to learn more about this because, um, you know, one of the previous guests on this podcast, Matthew Burzon, uh, a white man has written a book about the power of giving away power. Mm-hmm. And it's very intriguing to me as a white man as well, a privileged white man, like, how do we engage in power? In a way that doesn't (laughs) suck us into it i mean can you can you reinvent power completely or does the very act of getting engaged in that is that just part of the necessity of trying to disrupt the systems that are around us that don't work for us so much anymore
1: i think that um everything is always about intention uh and you know if Mm. we if we enter a space a conversation uh, uh an ideas realm uh, wherever it might be, with the intention to explore if there's something new uh, available, um, and with the intention to not reinforce uh, oppressive and destructive uh, ways of thinking and ways of relating, then um, then I think that it is always possible. So in, intention is is something that you know I think we all. Should be grappling with. Um, yeah. So Martin Luther King um, said something about power, which I love, but I can't remember exactly. So I will paraphrase. <laughs> um, but he's, I, he says yeah. um, that power, he, so he talked about power and love um, needing to, he, he kind of talked about them in, in tandem. And he said uh, that power without love became uh, becomes abusive, you know, and, and violent. Um, but equally, he said that love without power, um, becomes, uh, can easily become submissive and lack agency. Um,
2: Sentimental and anemic, I think is what he said. Oh,
1: thank you. Yes. Sentimental. I've just,
2: I've just pulled up the quote, so let me read it. So yes. you, you have it. Thanks. Power without love is reckless and abusive and love without power is sentimental and anemic. Power at its best is love implementing the demands of justice, and justice at its best is power correcting everything that stands against love.
1: Isn't that just so beautiful? <laughs> I, I, it is, I, um, and it's uh, it's beautiful because it just feels instantly true. Um, and I think that that well, mm. I hope that that answers your question to some extent. So you know, yes we can you know anyone whether you're a white man or a black woman or wherever you're from i think you know bearing that kind of spirit in mind uh i certainly believe Mm. that we can we can reimagine power um and you know we can um yeah we can just have that intention to bring more more love into power and more power into love um but also to to kind of conceptualize that uh or or give it a symbol or an image. It doesn't have to be like some kind of theoretical conceptualization. Right. And part of the, the work that I, um, the, the, the the notion exergence is that it is one that is rife with imagery. So exurgia in ancient Greek was the word for power. Um, and the way that I've, uh, you know, I've imagined is is mm. by conversations that I had with the non-human natural world with, and with rivers um, specifically. So I, I spend a lot of uh, intentional time observing right. rivers um, and kind of asking the rivers to, to speak to me about power, to teach me about power. Um, and therein uh, came came to a lot of, you know, the rivers gave me a lot of imagery. Um, and so, I yeah, I think that, you know, we, we do need... We don't just need a yeah. new language we need new images new symbols uh, it, when it comes to how we how we think of power so what's what's
2: a, an image or images that the rivers provided for you that helped unlock new ways of feeling into or understanding power for you Mina
1: perhaps above all um, the image is the way that rivers uh, just kind of had uh, toward their destination so you know the the river starts off from from the mouth of the river and then um from the source sorry and heads toward the mouth and it's uh throughout that journey the river meets so many obstacles there's man-made dams and weirs and um you know Mm. hydro plants and all sorts and then it also meets uh it's, its journey is impeded by uh Climate collapse, um, deforestation, pollution, um, and yet the river just flows—you uh, know—through, above, below, from the side. Uh, it just keeps on mm-hmm. going toward its destination, which is the ocean. Um, and there's something in that imagery that speaks to the way that we can. Uh, we can come to power, whether it means to resist or, you know, to empower others, but to, to have that, right. that kind of, uh, the, 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 the kind of life force almost. Uh, so the thing that makes rivers move yeah. forward is, is gravity. Um, and I would argue that power is the equivalent of gravity to humans. It is the thing that helps us to to move forward in life toward our uh destination, which you know, people like um uh Albert, is it Albert Maslow? Um he he said
0: uh yeah yeah hierarchy Maslow's of hierarchy
1: means. of needs yeah. and you know his his kind of ultimate uh destination was self-realization, uh which I which I quite mm. like, um although you know you could add to it that Part of self-realization is also collect, collective, which I think Maslow actually does. Um, and so right. power is to humans what gravity is to rivers as we are <laughs> on the journey <laughs> nice. towards self-realization.
2: The other word that you use in conjunction with power is joy. So can you tell us what you mean by joy and why? how does that even play a role when you're thinking about or talking about power?
1: Uh, so. Joy is a word that I think is so crucial um it, you know especially within movements where uh there's so much to to fight against there's so much uh sorrow and despair and and anger and exactly um and so joy is really a kind of uh it's not actually it's not an antidote but it's uh it's, it's something that so easily becomes neglected and yet it kind of mm. is the thing that um that has the power to liberate us um, because it is it is so difficult to oppress and to dominate uh, a person or a group of people who feel joy um, and when I say joy right. I should add uh, you know, I kind of intentionally use joy rather than happiness, but because I'm trying to convey uh, something uh, almost spir- sensuous, sensuous. yes. Yeah, so kind of um, yeah. political and spiritual at the same time, um, and so joy is the kind of joy, the kind of political joy that I'm speaking about is something that emerges when you combine um, uh, like rage with uh utopianism or or something like that so so it isn't it's a conscientious joy in which uh you are intentional about joy because there's so much to there's so much tragedy around you Um, so it's it's almost a a kind of post tragic state of being um right uh, and you know there's there's some material on uh you could compare uh like you you could make a case that the focus on happiness uh it, as it is tied to consumerism in our contemporary society is it's kind of almost pre tragic so it's it, it's it's a narrative that exists when people are unaware of the suffering around them um and and the kind of joy that I'm speaking about is something that emanates from the realization that uh you know there there is a lot of of suffering um but there's also uh, mm. a lot of reason to 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 keep alive uh, and to to keep enlivened together
2: with others is, is there any danger I, I mean i fully understand that piece around that the joy is an an enlivening act happiness is a temporary fleeting purchase <laughs> and joy has a deeper enliveningness to it but as you talk about it being a a post tragic
1: state is there danger of of
2: passivity or losing activism or actually losing the anger and the rage that makes you go this needs to be disrupted this needs to be different i just i just um i suspect you know there are there are people who are Black and or feminist and or allies to black feminism, who go, you know what? It's it's the anger that is the thing that drives us, not a sense of sensual knowledge, not a sen- thing of joy.
1: Yeah, um, I think that's a really good question, by the way. Um, so uh, and an important one. Um, so and that's why um, I said that the, the joy that I'm speaking of is one that comes from a combination of, of rage. Uh, so not even just anger, but actually mm. rage um, and uh, nice. kind of utopian hope almost. Um, and I think that anger is, you know, certainly it has its place and it has, uh, it has been so important if we look at the Black Liberation Movement, for instance. Um, you know, it has really led to a lot of uh, demonstrations which in turn have read, led to structural change um, but also, uh, you know, that, that is the kind of narrative that has a lot of power, a lot of prominence in the discussion, but actually, um, once again, when you look at, uh, black feminists approaches, um, this question of joy is so glaring throughout. So, uh, you know, because we, Black women as a group, have been excluded from so many institutions of power, including uh, education, including liberation movements, which are very patriarchal, um, we have always kind of sought to do transformative work with things like, uh, with the arts, for instance, with with. Uh, right. nature so through gardening through um, ritual through dance um, and all of these mm. these things uh, are they really uh, convey and provide the image of what I mean when I say joy um, so it's, it's yeah. kind of it's, it's combining fighting and healing um, into one uh, and I think you know when we focus strictly on anger then we're, we're just fighting and not healing and we need to be doing both
2: I mm. mean, to, to shift slightly, I'm curious to know where you feel at home because you're a woman who's lived in many countries and, um, this conversation at a more abstract level is also about finding home, you know, returning to freedom as you could call as a sense of returning home. So I'm curious to know where you feel home is for you. What a great
1: question, <laughs> um, to reflect on. Where do I feel home? Um, the first thing that comes to mind for me is um, in, my, in my body, you know, I feel, I think I've, I, mm. so I've, maybe I should put it this way. I've I've always felt like I never quite fit in uh, because I have lived in so many places. Um, I come from many different backgrounds, religions, different languages, uh, which are all, of course, also things that are are huge gifts in my life. but. One consequence is that I've, mm. I've always felt that I never fit in. And for such a long time, I felt like I didn't know where home was. Um, and so, right. uh, you know, that I now feel, I feel at home um, kind of everywhere where I find myself. Um, it, right. it feels important to me uh, to, to say that, yeah, so I feel at home in my body. The other thing uh, that comes to mind is I feel at home in words I feel at home in, in literature mm. yeah, whether I am writing or reading um, you know it doesn't I think that's one of the things that uh brings me into my body actually is to is to read or to write um, and so if I have traveled somewhere where I feel uh if I if I had done that and I felt a little bit um estranged or something um, then, then I will right. pick up a book and I'll always have, you know, books that feel that like having companions along with me on a journey and, <laughs> and, um, yeah. And right. then I instantly, uh, feel, feel at home again.
2: And, you know, being a, a reader, but also a writer, I'm, I'm curious to know where you, how you decide where to share your voice and what's behind the question is I saw that you, you decided to, to leave Twitter um, a year or so ago and, you know, your last message is, I hey, thank you, but I'm off to go and talk in different places. Um, how do you decide which forums in which to speak?
1: Uh, I, I, I think it, it's, it, it's going to sound a bit esoteric, but it has to do with the the energy or, you know, the, the kind of the heart mm. and soul of a place. Um, and, Twitter. Uh, I I really struggled with Twitter before leaving because um, it just yeah. started to feel like I was being complicit um, in creating a, a culture and a discourse that I loathe, um, that I think is you know really toxic and destructive, and i I tried for weeks, if not months, um if not years actually, because the last like two three years right. of my time on Twitter, I feel like i was I was trying to to have conversations with people, but because of the 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 energy of that space and the algorithms and all that um it just felt impossible to have conversations that were soulful or critical or you know just engaging mm. um and yeah i I quite spontaneously even though it had been something that was probably brewing in me for a long period of time but i i quite spontaneously left twitter um and i I guess i did sense that um i really wanted to put my writerly imagination um into into work that it feels more substantive so um into Mm. like more long form writing uh and and right. yeah, and into into writing that can really um communicate with others in a way in which there isn't so much separation and and and, in, and which isn't didactic like I really I just want to talk to people um and you can't really do that on <laughs> Twitter, like what works is preaching to people, right. it's educating people and yeah. uh, and I just felt like I yeah. just want to talk um <laughs> so yeah, so yeah. so. Uh, uh, that's, that's kind of what I've been doing more and more of. Um, and yeah. you know, Twitter takes it, no matter how much one imagines that you can kind of just spend an hour there a day or whatever, t- 20 minutes, even, um, it takes up a lot of time. Like you, you know, it's even if you're not physically yeah. on the platform, you're kind of thinking about what somebody tweeted or what you <laughs> tweeted. And so it has freed up a lot of time for me, which I'm grateful yeah. for.
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I've I've so enjoyed this conversation. Is there, as a final question, is there anything that needs to be said that hasn't yet been said between you and me?
1: Nothing other than uh, I've really enjoyed this conversation as well. And thank you so much for inviting me to be part of your very lovely podcast. It's been such a pleasure.
0: One of the recurring themes of these conversations in this podcast from guests like Matthew Burson or Dr. Carolyn Heldman is about the elusive, slippery, essential qualities of power. Mina tapped into the image of rivers, emerging from the source. I mean, that's literal, but it's also a powerful metaphor. Being fed by tributaries, swelling, winding its way to the ocean, flowing finally into that bigger hole. Now, I think for Mina in particular, she's talking about the taking back of power. And rivers can certainly work as a metaphor, as a picture for this sense of self growth and learning. But, you know, in our conversation, what really struck a chord for me is this connection between power and joy. I mean, so often when we get into these conversations, they're marked by a lack of joy, a seriousness, a carefreeness. And I do think the image of intermingling joy, personal and embodied, with power, which is so often abstract and dispersed, is a really powerful and interesting way of engaging in this conversation in a way that's new and different. Now, if you'd like to learn more about Mina, you can find her on Instagram, Ms. Afropolitan, M-S-A-F-R-O-P-O-L-I-T-A-N. And in fact, that's the word you just want to Google, and you'll find her blog and her website and and access to her books as well. Thanks for being part of this. I really appreciate having you as a listener, being able to meet guests such as Mina Salami. If this conversation about the sex lives of African women and power and joy and rivers has struck a chord, well, maybe there's somebody in your world that you can recommend this uh, particular interview to. Thank you for passing the word along. Thank you for giving it a review on your favorite podcast app. Uh, If you want more, of course, there's the Duke Humphreys, our membership site, totally free. But signing up gives you access to interviews and downloads and transcripts and much more. Um, And in any case,
1: I just say that you're awesome and you're doing great.